Daniel King started college as a computer science major at NYU, but was disheartened with his academic performance and switched to a film major. Several years later, without tremendous Hollywood success in film, Daniel reconsidered his career and took an IT role with a law firm in New York City. Today, Daniel now is a DevOps engineer at Behance, a subsidiary of Adobe, where he maintains their fleet of servers. We sit down to ask Daniel about the how and why of his dramatic career change and get some tips from him about how others can do the same. Enjoy. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer here. Uh, today, we're joined by Daniel King. Uh, Daniel, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Max. Uh, absolutely. Daniel's a DevOps engineer at Behance, uh, but we're really grateful to have him on the show because he's got an extremely awesome background to share uh, about how you found your way to DevOps and software engineering. So, um, Daniel, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background and maybe uh, how you went from college to through today. Right. I guess. Yep. So, um, I went to uh, NYU. I thought I would, uh, I actually initially started studying for computer science, but I quickly kind of, uh, didn't perform academically as I wanted. And, um, I, I moved colleges to, uh, uh Hunter college and I fell in love with filmmaking and graduated with a film degree there mm-hmm. and pivoted as they say. Right. And, um, <laughs> and then I started crushing it there or I thought I did. And then it turns out you, you need to have some kind of, uh, connections and some sort of, uh, way into the business. And, uh, after a, a bunch of money later and some poor movies made, I pivoted yet again to, um, a small startup law firm that my friend was starting up and he needed some sort of uh, IT help. And I was kind of like the IT guy for that firm from crimping wires, setting up servers, SQL server and uh, Windows and Active Directory. And I was just learning as I was going, as the company was growing. And then from there, I pivoted to, so an opening for a Gawker. They needed a IT guy there. I jumped on board and... Uh, after a couple of uh, whirlwind years there, uh, moved to Intersection and uh, worked on some cool tech with ads on kiosks in the subway system there. And then Behance, as the story kind of peters out. It unfolds. Unfolds, yeah. And still still going. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, still going. Yeah. We have yet to see what you will be doing. Yeah, next, yeah. So. I, I actually feel like I've just started on my DevOps journey. So for sure. I mean, for our audience that might have similar backgrounds to you and might be at the point where you were at after getting your film degree, um, meaning they're they're doing some film stuff. Uh, they have they maybe have taken one course or read one book about computer science. Uh, how did how did what was what was your thought process at the time about making the career change? Did a did a friend of yours just the, the law firm guy just reach out to you cold and 
you said, yeah, I know about computers or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, go? actually, we knew each other from uh, a local church we attended together. But um, and uh, he just needed a technical help. And he knew that I knew my way. I, I, I like uh, acquired my first computer, like a 386 back in the day and loved making computers and uh, building computers and and stuff like that. And he knew I was kind of had my head in the those those clouds there. Um and so, yeah, it was just a informal conversation that start, led to one thing to the next, and then, and that was, and that was that. And um, uh, what, are there any are there any specific lessons that we can share with our audience about? I don't know skills that might have crossed over from the filmmaking that you were doing after college and in college to right. to those jobs. Yeah, um, filmmaking is a rigorously um, uh, I guess manual intensive endeavor and it requires a lot of coordination because it's a collaborative art form. And um, if you don't get everyone's uh, schedules in, in alignment, you're not going to have the optimal uh, film at the end. And they, when you see like a, a well-made film, you kind of don't, the kind of the whole point of it is to kind of hide all of that magic, all that grunt work in the in the in the cuts and in the the lo- lighting and location and all the logistics that that um, that has been pre-planned. Um, so a lot of uh, planning and a lot of time management and a lot of uh, speaking with various stakeholders. That kind of soft skills was something that I I continued to I guess grow with uh, my transition to a more technical career path. I'm imagining that in some ways, the stuff you're doing now at Behance, where you're orchestrating, (laughs) orchestrating computers around, I don't know, maybe there's an element to organization of uh, servers that there existed when you were trying to organize really complex film projects. I mean, it gets complex pretty fast as we, as I know from, just organizing video interviews for accidental engineer. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think um, like every little aspect of filmmaking or programming or DevOps is probably its own little universe. And you could have infinite variations within each and to actually glom them all together. That's kind of crazy. It's like, I don't know, sliders, alternate universes mm-hmm. next to each other. <laughs> For our audience that doesn't know much about Behance, I'll intro real quick that you guys are uh, uh, owned by Adobe. Yeah, is that right? That's right. Um, yeah. Acquired. Go ahead. Acquired like three, three or so years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a platform for artists to publish uh, artwork and their portfolio work in some ways. Yeah. So they have two uh, services. Behance is the more community based, where people can share their work and it's a social i guess graph aspect people can like and uh share their work or others work uh and then we have the uh my portfolio which is more of a portfolio specific uh service where you can uh present your artwork in a more uh professional way you could uh, modify i guess like a WYSIWYG kind of uh ui mm-hmm. yeah so for our audience that doesn't know much about what technologies you guys use, I mean, besides going and looking at perhaps the jobs listings for uh, software engineers at Behance, 
Uh, do you mind sharing for our audience a little bit about the types of tools that you use on a daily day-to-day basis? Yeah, so a day-to-day basis, our like stack is AWS, um, where we deploy and run um, the uh, Mesos. Uh, I'll actually call it DCOS stack, and which is a uh, distributed computing platform. Initially, mm-hmm. initially um, it was glommed from technologies uh, Mesos. And Mesos combines various computers together into one uh, uh, corporate computer, whether that's mm-hmm. AWS VMs or uh, VMware or just hardware that you have at your data center. And then on top of that layer, uh, they would create these schedulers. And one is called Marathon, which is for long running. And those are where our uh, web apps run. And our job is to make sure the web apps run optimally and cost effectively on top of AWS, on top of um, Mesos. So we talked a little bit about the crossover of filmmaking skills to software engineering, but from working in front office IT and being the lead, you know, the lead and sole IT manager at a law firm to uh, doing that at Gawker, um, what was the crossover like from doing more information technology, hardware management to more AWS cloud infrastructure management? Was did were there were there was there easy crossover or what were the pain points? Um, well, I don't know if it was maybe it was less pain points because uh, you didn't have to physically touch things much anymore. <laughs> you just click click a button or. Uh, curl or uh, make some sort of script and then talk to an API and then you've made your computers or your network or other configurations. And that's for good or for ill because just as quickly as you could bring it up, you could just as quickly destroy the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I mean, for audience members that might be software engineers or not software engineers and aren't as familiar with DevOps, uh, can you you share a kind of a a general definition of what DevOps might refer to, and like, yeah, yeah, man- managing a, a where managing your infrastructure is is very abstract description <laughs> of what DevOps is, I guess. Yeah, uh, I think they're. I mean, managing infrastructure um, takes uh, practices from the DevOps movement, and from my my two cents for the DevOps uh, term is a. Well, the the short um, Sparknotes version is like it's uh, two words uh, pushed together: uh, development and operations as a portmanteau. And uh, they take a lot of lessons from the automotive industry, um, Toyota, as in particular, with their automotive uh, manufacturing practices. And it's uh, it's the way to break down silos between groups and to encourage uh, collaboration across the entire organization so that they can finish the actual goals of the company rather than just, uh, I did my bit, throw it over the wall, and then something happens and like, it's not my fault, it's their problem. And so all this um, finger pointing and lack of communication or breakdowns should be kind of removed and people can have direct access to one another. And so those practices for the DevOps, um, we try to practice that in Behance as well. So for people who are totally green to AWS, for example, 
uh, and DevOps. Uh, would you recommend people just make a Amazon Web Services account or Microsoft Azure account or Google Cloud account? And I mean, where 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 can people start <laughs> mucking around with learning about what your job is like? Yeah, um, I I wouldn't recommend running like a two hundred VM marathon cluster or DCOS cluster that <laughs> it costs a lot of money. But actually, yeah, it's, yeah. it's never been a better time to. Uh, touch uh infrastructure as azure and uh, google and uh, DigitalOcean and uh, linode and all these other guys they've kind of abstracted all the hardware away and uh, you can just sign up they have a lot of free tiers or very affordable cheap and then you could start playing around with their apis to create a computer and then you could do a tiny little lamp stack make your little uh, php mysql web page or some other, like maybe they have a, a serverless kind of services where you can just create, um, uh, I don't know, some sort of a function that mm-hmm. you could just run. So Mesos is not something that comes out of the box with with AWS. Uh, what, w- what would you recommend of the many AWS services that somebody sees when they first log into their account? Which would you recommend people first start and try out using to get familiar with uh, deploying websites or, or like you described, a LAMP stack? Um, the one that they've, um, I guess, they've Heroku-fied or they're, they're hook, uh, if, if uh, for those unfamiliar, Heroku kind of, uh, the terms are like IaaS or PaaS, which is like infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. And Heroku is a PaaS uh, PaaS, and you, developers just push the code, and then they deal with everything. And in, infrastructure mm-hmm. as a service deals with gives you more fine grained control uh, over the infrastructure itself. If you're into that, and so where so where Heroku is a platform as a service company right. offering hosting, AWS is infrastructure as a service. Right, but within AWS, because they kind of want to do everything and take over the world. Uh, of course, <laughs> they have a kind of competitor using their own technology called uh, Elastic uh, Beanstalk, which is kind of a you just write your code, zip it up, send it to them, and then they'll deploy the whole thing, and then you just see your website. So I tried out Elastic Beanstalk only this last year, um, and I was really surprised to find out that it's. Uh, built entirely on top of other AWS services. Yeah, and so when when you deploy maybe that Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP, Lamp stack to Elastic Beanstalk, Elastic Beanstalk is actually using another AWS service called CloudFormation, and they procure a configured set of servers and resources like your database uh, via uh, Relate their RDS service, another AWS service. So you're really, when you use Elastic Beanstalk, like you're suggesting, you're you're inherently using like eight other existing AWS services. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, kind of blew my mind. It's, it's kind of like uh, I think they dog food their their services to build other. They I guess they've created the primitives of the services they want, and then on top of that, they create all the other cool services. 
One other alternative I might suggest for our audience members who haven't used AWS before is to try deploying a static website. So the accidentalengineer.com is actually just a set of static files that I upload to Amazon S3, their simple static storage cool. service. Yeah, that's very cool. Makes keeps my keeps my costs extremely low. Yeah. Like close to zero cents a month. Do you do you also use their uh, CDN CloudFront service? Yeah, yeah. So I, I it's you can very easily point uh well it it might it might be really involved to try and explain for our audience what a CDN is. Oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> I'm realizing it's a well. I I mean, let's give it a yeah. Go. It's go a, it stands for Content Distribution Network, and I, I I mean the me the the thing is if someone wants to copy a file from your uh, bucket and they they live in Thailand or something, it would be easier if there was a server nearby Thailand that they could download it from or copy it from rather than from uh, Berkeley. California. So a CDN would copy that file to various, what they call pop locations all over, over the world, depending on the uh, reach of the company, Amazon being one of the biggest, they have more pop locations than other uh, providers. So that gives them more of a chance that your content will be distributed and it'll be easy to, easily accessible to everyone across the, the globe. So the benefit there, yeah, like you say, is that people who come to visit theaccidentalengineer.com, rather than having to send a packet over the internet, getting routed through all the uh, the links in the chain of the internet to reach one computer somewhere at an Amazon data center, yeah, yeah, <laughs> can can and and then have it send a response back through the same chain of the internet. Yes, uh, can hit up a, a computer somewhere co-located in Thailand. So the round trip time of retrieving files is faster. So just when you go to the accidentalengineer.com, it's a faster experience to try and visit web pages right. because the files download faster. Right. right. But to answer your original question, yeah, I, definitely. <laughs> so it, when I upload a file from my computer to Amazon S3, that's from my computer to a computer somewhere in the continental United States. And then CloudFront, uh, another Amazon service, their CDN, uh, copies that file, like Daniel described, to Thailand, to Russia, to Europe, to South America, so that when anyone in the world tries to access my website, it's a, a very optimized, fast experience. But that too is relatively cheap. Yeah. So, I mean, looking at look looking at uh, anyone who's trying to test out. The waters of using a cloud provider like Amazon, uh, static site is a, a great place to start. Yeah, yeah, excellent, uh, yeah, idea for you, new people to start without much in the hitting their wallet. And I, I think you could just t tag in the. I think Cloudflare has a free service as well, so you could get SSL termination. That too. Yeah. That too. And DDoS protection. It's a little bit. That too. Yeah. I th I think Amazon too is is encroaching into oh. uh, Cloudflare's space, and now with your CloudFront distribution, your CDN, you can configure uh, various DDoS prevention methods. So wow. our audience our audience might not know what DDoS is. <laughs> so oh, yeah, maybe we should yeah, explain. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, a distributed denial of service attack, where uh, you can get a bunch of uh, 
uh, IoT cameras that are connected to the internet and very low security. And some bot will go and uh, commandeer all those machines and focus their requests all into your website. And then you will just basically fall over from the, the number of uh, requests coming in. So why why would people do that? <laughs> uh, for the lulls, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or or for the for the uh, what's it called a uh, ransom? Oh yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Might, they might say pay us, and we'll turn off all of our cameras so that your site will come back. Oh, it's up. protection, protection <laughs> money. It's like a shakedown. Yeah, from old schools. Yeah. So generally, our audience probably shouldn't fret too much about this. You guys should just try to build your websites first. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't let the uh, uh, perfect be the enemy of the what is that? I forget. Of the good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What? Speaking of Heroku, Heroku actually is a separate company of Amazon, uh, but they actually run on Amazon. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I didn't yeah, know Heroku from, was uh, combined with Amazon. I thought they were a separate company. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, they they are separate companies. They Heroku got acquired by Salesforce actually, uh, uh, from their from their inception many years ago. I think probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe now that Heroku founded, uh, they've ran on Amazon wow. <laughs> since forever. Wow. That's, that's funny. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Heroku and I, I thought to myself, oh, this might be a great thing to suggest to our audience members as an alternative to Amazon. Would you recommend people try out Heroku as their uh, hosting option? Um, I've had a cursory experience with it, but I am, it seems like something that tries to get out of your way in getting the actual website that you want up. And, um, yeah, I would, I would take a look. I haven't checked in a while, but I'm sure their services are even more streamlined to get you, you up and going. So for our audience that hasn't heard of Mesos, uh, you were describing Mesos as a way to take a bunch of different servers or virtual machines um, and running Mesos on them, you can treat all of those separate servers as a single server. Yeah. Uh, is that a fair description? That's a fair description. Uh, what? Why would one need such a tool? <laughs> um, so that you can... Basically, uh, I guess if you wanted to scale your um, web application uh, more than you can uh, do otherwise with a regular, I guess there's 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 just so many the the instance size that you can you can scale vertically, so you scale horizontally. And another, I guess, benefit is um, you can kind of compact. Uh, we run the uh, applications as Docker containers in the um, Mesos cluster, and you could kind of bin pack the containers more tightly per VM. So um, Mesos kind of handles the uh, which servers are have more free, and then assigns the um, assigns the uh, assigns the application to that server. And so you could you could have more bang for your buck instead of wasting CPU and resources and uh, giving. Jeff Bezos, all your money for no gain. Yeah, yeah. He's rich enough already. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, agreed. Agreed. I'm, I'm trying to think of a couple of good examples to share with our audience about why, I mean, what you're describing is distributed computing where you have uh, many computers 
um, and you have some work that you want done. Uh, and by splitting up that work and distributing it to your many computers, you can uh, get faster performance of whatever work you might want done. Uh, yeah, so, you could definitely paralyze your work if you have a big chunk of work that you have to do and you could slice it up. And instead of using uh, Marathon, which is more of a, uh, I guess, web app focus, they have other frameworks that you can layer on top of Mesos, such as Spark and uh, MySQL even, and some others. I, I We haven't played with any of those yet, but sounds interesting. So another, another example use case that is on my mind is rendering film. Uh, so your background in filmmaking is super intriguing to me uh, because it's an element of my full-time job uh, where we are making digital video, right? digital right. movies, and maybe you need to resize a very large video, or maybe you even want to render an animated video, uh, in which case if you split your video into its compo component scenes, uh, you can you can distribute those scene rendering jobs across your many different computers. Right. <laughs> um, are, are there is there any example use cases that uh, I realize this is semi proprietary information about what Behance does, but uh, do you mind sharing an example of how you guys benefit from? Uh, Behance, other than that, it saves you guys money? Well, for the um, transcoding and, um, I guess, resizing of media, we actually um, out we actually outsource that work to an internal API that we call, um, has a, we have a video team and we have a, and, but image rendition we, we have in-house, but we call a, uh, a, uh, bar behance uh, asset rendition and mm -hmm. that takes images that people upload on behance.net and um, resizes them to various sizes that are needed and then uh, copies it to the we use uh, AWS for that uh, s3 and a couple of uh, uh, their their offerings <laughs> yeah yeah and and we run the I guess the API on the uh, mesos cluster gotcha gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I think I underestimated before I got into the media side of software engineering how big the files are that you deal with and how important performance gets when you start dealing with uh, artists who have very high resolution artwork or photos or video capture or audio. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start really understanding the economics of how expensive it can be to do things for many different people simultaneously. Yeah, I think that uh, Netflix released a, a blog on how much rendering power that they consume because mm -hmm. they can now stream 4K and I can't even imagine wow. 4K for their entire catalog of uh, movies. <laughs> well, they, they have so many interesting problems in streaming video. Uh, one of them is what we were just describing earlier about CloudFront and content distribution networks is that they have uh, 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 agreements that they enter into with end customers' internet service providers. Uh, so internet service providers, this is an often cited statistic that um, 
that Netflix is something like 40% or 50% of all US bandwidth <laughs> right, traffic right, right. Yeah. online. And so it causes major headaches for internet service providers who uh, have to decide whether to rate limit this or uh, provide preferential treatment to Netflix uh, because of how much bandwidth is used by uh, clients who customers of the ISPs who want to watch Netflix. So Netflix has these special programs that ISPs can reach out to Netflix and Netflix will help install computers to co be co-located at those internet service providers so that these uh, round trip times for fetching and streaming video on demand is optimal, like better than any one of us could oh, do. Oh, wow. If we were trying to stand up our own Netflix competitor. I, I wonder if that's the um, Amazon had released a uh, new Linux AMI that you can co-locate, not, not on their services, mm. and you could spin it up anywhere that you have your own data center. That's super yeah. interesting. Do you mind sharing for our audience what an AMI is? Because up until maybe a few years ago, I didn't know yeah. at all what the Yeah, you got to call me out with the uh, jargon speak. Because, uh, yeah. That's oh, pretty, sure, yeah. It, <laughs> so <laughs> many acronyms in right, DevOps. Right. Um, I mean, any kind of, uh, I guess, uh, discipline or, or uh, work environment, they have their own lingo, I guess, just to kind of optimize communication. But AMI, actually, I don't really know what that means. It's just like Amazon machine it's image a, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes they call it a homie. <laughs> I've heard it said, I've heard it vocalized that way in, in conference oh. talks, but. Wow, it's, it sounds <laughs> sounds romantic or something. Like, Ami. <laughs> or it sounds like a new uh, service from Google that's like kind of a like a comforting robot AI that just Ami is going to greet you from home. <laughs> a hard day's work. Ami's there. So, <laughs> so what, what the what the hell would we use uh, Ami uh, for? What, why why what's the uh, Ami? Ami is a. Um, is a I guess a snapshot or a copy of a server that has uh, your OS and um, I guess hardware to software um, configurations like maybe kernel modules um, drivers and then that AMI is used to spin up a particular flavor of like CentOS or CoreOS, Gento, Ubuntu, and the, each distribution has uh, various ways of they handle the uh, interaction between hardware and software. And uh, AMI allows you to, I guess, package that and then uh, deploy that uh, throughout their uh, EC2 service, which is their uh, VM um, service from AWS. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, that, that is, that is a, uh, the depths of of grasping all of those details is deep. <laughs> I remember I, to put this in perspective for our audience that might be of the of the type we were addressing earlier about trying out Amazon Web Services for the first time. Ami's you'll first encounter when you're using EC2, which is AWS's original first yeah. service. I think yeah. they offered Elastic Cloud Compute, where uh, they allow you to procure and rent uh, server time. So when you tell Amazon, hey, I want a server, 
Um, you tell them how much hardware you want on the server. Um, and of course, the other thing you need to specify is what AMI uh, the server should have when yeah, it boots. Yeah, AMI. So, so that's pretty rad. I had not heard about the that Amazon's going to be offering AMIs that specifically are co-located. Yeah. It's like um, uh, it's like uh, letting the I don't know uh, what is that term where the mother ties the apron strings to the baby so they don't crawl away. Wow! What? <laughs> Dude, you have all kinds of yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I'm just trying to like a metaphor that works. But basically, like AMI <laughs> was like the core building block of the AWS empire, and now it's actually being uh, disseminated outside of their uh, infrastructure. So that's kind of interesting. Well, one of the other interesting aspects of what you mentioned that uh, I remember reading when I was first getting into DevOps about Netflix's, Netflix being the first notable big adopter of Amazon web services was there. They had their all kinds of tooling for creating their own AMIs. Yeah. They had they had all these. Uh, in fact, they were one of the first. Uh, well, they were a huge proponents of continuous integration and continuous deployment. Where when you make a change in your code, it uh, and push your code, uh, tests will run to verify that the code didn't break. Uh, but they'll also bake an AMI was the verb I remember they used. Uh, so, in contrast to what I imagine that you, Daniel, do at Behance, where you create a Docker image when somebody makes a code change. Netflix, before they got into containers and Docker, actually baked AMIs (laughs) with the source code baked into the the AMIs. Yeah, we we did some of the AMI baking. I think think they used the HashiCorp's tool called Packer, which Mm -hmm. I think everybody uses to bake your own uh, AMI and um, distribute that where it needs to go. But Netflix does it at a crazy scale, and they've created some CICD tool called Spinnaker, which kind mm-hmm. of is a bunch of Jenkins instances that kind of work together to have these pipelines, code pushed, tested, and then bake, and then push the AMI to whatever region that, that is needed for that AMI, the latest code. We'll we'll obviously add uh, links in the show notes so yeah, yeah, can yeah. can check out specifically what we're referring to. Uh, yeah. Um, are there any questions that I should ask you that I failed to failed to think of? Um, I I think um you mentioned um previously um the I guess pivot from non technical to technical career change. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess what, what are some tips? Uh, And I guess I could only share my experience, but, um, these change from, I guess, working at a law firm as it kind of best geek squad guy to an actual uh, DevOps engineer. Um, you really have to use your, um, I guess network and it kind of, I kind of love. I kind of um, landed into the DevOps role at Behance 
from a friend of a friend and and also i guess attending meetups and just reading up on the devops uh and what it is the historical background of it and why it's important and just loving the whole idea of uh, infrastructure as code and I, I guess podcasts like this really helped me to just get my feet wet and my mind open to the idea of what it is as a DevOps engineer. So that kind of primed me. Dude, that is awesome to yeah. hear. <laughs> I mean, given given that people should listen to podcasts, uh, were there other resources and, and attend live events like meetups and um, familiarize themselves with the profession that they're they're going after. Um, are there other resources you'd recommend? Like one of the things that I find notable about your background that I'd like to highlight for our audience is that you didn't you didn't have to go back and do a second degree. Right. Yeah. Um, you you were able to on the job learn a lot about uh, writing yourself for a super technical role that you're in today. Um, so, I mean, were there resources that you leveraged on the job over the years that you spent at the law firm and then at Gawker before joining Behance? Yeah, I think what we spoke earlier with, um, I guess, the free tier services that are provided by Amazon or Azure and Google and the rest, uh, that definitely helped me to familiarize myself. Um, and um, you'd have to, for meetups, it's kind of a hit or miss depending on the city that you live in, but since I'm kind of fortunate to live in a very populous city near New York, New York City, there's lots of meetups that I could attend. And um, I just have to say, keep going to uh, try try a couple that you can see, and then you should be able to th- see things bubble up on people, certain names, and you could kind of reach out to them. And it's a very open community that's uh, willing to answer questions. And I, th- I think it's it's really uh, it's really uh, on you to try to reach out and don't be afraid. I think everybody's pretty open about and friendly and welcoming to answer your questions outside of work. If, if of course, you'd have to have time after work <laughs> as well, too. Oh, agreed, agreed. I mean, one of the things we should do before we call it a night is plug any jobs that you guys are hiring for at Behance. Uh, can we point people to your guys' jobs page? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me see our jobs page. Well, you don't need to look it up now. We'll add it to the show yeah. notes. Uh, I just want to encourage audience members of ours who are interested in careers at Behance to check out Yeah, Behance. we um, are using uh, uh, Vue.js, which is our front-end framework. Um, and we are a PHP. I know that's kind of uh, sacrilegious to some circles but we we use php a lot and uh so if you know any of those definitely would love to talk to you and uh devops as well uh so awesome yeah well daniel it's been a pleasure having you on the Thanks, podcast Max. Thanks for joining us for the accidental engineer podcast If you enjoyed our interview with Daniel and want to hear more about professional software engineering careers, visit our website at theaccidentalengineer.com. We have a large backlog of video interviews and sign up on our email list to be notified when we publish new ones.